0: Welcome to TB Community. I am Bob DeMena, and here with me, as always, is the very true to type Elliot Ghibli. True to type. So true to type.
1: Um, is that is that like a hyphenated?
0: Yeah, yeah. So right. uh, yeah, um, exemplary. Okay. Archetypal. Archetypical. Okay. I think I got
1: it. it. I think I got it. Yeah, we're there. All right. Our guest today is Katie Quinn. She is an author, food journalist, YouTuber, podcaster, and host. And we talked to her about her book, Bread, Wine, and Cheese. And it was a great, great conversation. Katie is really fun to talk to. She has great stories, delicious recipes that we talk about, and some of the science behind the everyone's, right? Everyone, I mean- Beer's not included in here, but these are some three pretty great fermented favorites. Cheese, wine, and bread. I love that. I learned a lot.
0: I learned a ton on this conversation. I know. I
1: did too. Um, And so we talk about Katie's history with it, where she started, how she got into cheese, wine, and food. We talk about some of the things that led her there, such as a traumatic accident. And the the book and the conversation are part artisanal adventure, part travelogue, and part cookbook. So it, it, was, it was really great talking to her. Bob and I both have a copy of a book, and we're really excited to dig into some of those recipes. So before we get into the conversation, though, travel tip of the week. Don't do anything <laughs> that you don't want to do. <laughs> so Bob... <laughs> Bob has this travel tip that he says, do not get into a romantic encounter with someone without protection. And that is, it is very accurate.
0: (laughs) It is very accurate. I think that's a good general philosophy for for just, you know, life in general. I think it's uh, better to err on the side of caution there. But I think when you're traveling around the world, uh, even more so. So I would absolutely... uh, Take that into consideration. Yeah,
1: not, not a lot of travel podcasts talk about the traveling solo and meeting people abroad, and it is very important to stay safe while traveling, yeah. as you would in any other situation in the U.S. hmm Yep. And before very we get into the conversation, check out some of the cool things we offer. Support for The Traveler's Blueprint is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels.
0: Gotta love that. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, which is right here. This is the Lawnmower 4.0. And you did hear that right, is the 4.0. Join over 2 million men, including Bob and myself, worldwide, who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, which is 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com.
0: So preparing for this, one term came to my mind, and that was nether regions. And it, it sort of sent me down this wormhole of the word. I was curious, you know, as a travel podcast, as a podcast that uh, focuses on culture and geography, I was curious to know whether or not nether regions was related to the Netherlands, the country. Is, is it? So no, not really. So they, they oh, share the prefix, right. they they share the word nether, which refers to a region at its lowest or furthest point. For part, for this part of a place, okay. especially with the allusion to hell or the underworld. Now, removing that second part or, or not thinking about it right now, you kind of understand how the Netherlands came to be because they are at the they're at topographically at a low point right near a the Rhine River basin, mm-hmm. and now relating to the Nether regions, it's a low point, I guess, of the body. And so there you go. You have some interesting information. All right. Well, um, thank you for that insight, Bob. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. You know. We've traveled together, and I always thought I was a pretty hairy person, and Amanda can vouch for me. Uh, but in our time traveling together, I've learned that you probably are hairier than I am. And what is it like with this? I mean, I know I've loved it. I mean, it's got the light. It's got the ceramic blade. It just makes things so much easier. <laughs> so, so
0: thanks for noticing my hairiness. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, I, but I've, I've been a hairy guy for a long time since, you know, my, my teenage years, i, I grew hair pretty quickly and since that time i've been trying to figure out ways to keep it in check i i shave my chest my back my head and my beard like everywhere you know I, I i like to keep it clean and Manscaped sent us this and it's perfect it's lightweight the charge lasts forever the light the light is one of my favorite aspects of this tool because Great. i've been shaving for a long time and i've never had a light attached to the buzzer itself so when you're shaving and you have this spotlight shining on you you can actually see the differences in yeah it makes it so much easier it's such an incredible idea to add a light and simple um, and then again as a traveler it's perfect you can throw it in your bag the the thing itself charges and lasts for a while but then the wireless charging port is also charged and you can then use along your trips um making it for a pretty extended period of time where you don't have to worry about finding an outlet which as a traveler we know it doesn't always come around as often as we like
1: And speaking of traveling, this has a travel lock on it, so you can actually prevent it from turning on while you're traveling, especially if you're throwing your bag around into an overhead compartment, onto a bus, or a trunk.
0: That's big, yeah. yeah. Huge. Huge. Yeah, because how often I I I can't think of any specific items, but you, you shove some your bag in somewhere just to get it on the plane or the bus. Toothbrush, old yeah, trimmers, you turn your, exactly, all Exactly, yeah. exactly. You hear it, and you're like, ah, yeah, exactly. So that, that seems to uh, be avoidable now with this this new 4.0, the Walmart
1: 4.0. So again, you can get 20 percent off and free shipping by using code TTB at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TTB. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for your family jewels with Manscaped. Your Your balls balls will will thank thank you. (laughs) Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint.
0: Start designing your next adventure. Katie, welcome to the Travelers Boyfriend podcast.
2: Hi, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: I, yeah. I really like your background, and
0: it's, it is. Why thank you. And, and I think it might be the focal point of this conversation. Yeah. Uh, what a coincidence! It's, it is, so.
2: <laughs> it's also covering a very blah Italian rental apartment background with like an hideous lime green couch. So trust me, this mm. is better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I think that's maybe a good starting point. So we were talking a little bit before we, we got on air and you told us that you're from Ohio, not too far away from where I live in New Jersey. Ellie lives in Pennsylvania. Oh, relatively, yes. Relatively, <laughs> yeah. Especially speaking of <laughs> Compared the Compared to States. now, yeah. Right. Um yeah. You you have an interesting background from what I've read briefly about your kind of your start into this and um I think that's I I think that's maybe the appropriate place to start. Ultimately, though, what happened was you wrote this new book, your Cheese, Wine, and Bread, and it's out now, correct?
2: Yes, it's out everywhere books are sold.
0: Nice, Excellent. nice. And can you give us like the quick rundown of what the book is? And then I think we'll take, we'll go back to the beginning. This is almost like, you know, the uh, this forewarning. Is foreshadowing. Yeah. Foreshadowing, yeah. Yeah, so tell us, what, what is the book?
2: Okay, so the book, like you said, it's called Cheese, Wine, and Bread, and that is indeed what it's about. The subtitle, I think, tells a bit more, uh, gives the character of the book. And the subtitle is Discovering the Magic of Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. So this book, yes, it's about cheese, wine, and bread. It's also about my travels, in europe experiencing these things so i was living in london at the time of writing this book i live in italy now i used to live in france when i went to culinary school at le cordon bleu so it, it's but you it's went not a culinary
1: about... school at le cordon bleu
2: yeah that's I amazing
1: that's yeah so cool. i cut wow. myself
2: and burned myself more more times than <laughs> i care to admit uh, it was intense but, but really really great great experience yeah. so so the book i guess touches on but it's not about touching on places that i've lived in my life at all uh it's it's about my travels through these places immersing myself complete deep dive so you know making cheese in a rural farmhouse in england um where the goats would milk every morning at 6 a.m and you know making the cheese in the farmhouse um i was a cheesemonger at Neil's yard dairy i which is a famous cheese shop in London, um, worked vineyard, vineyards and making wine in all around Italy and uh, worked at boulangeries in France. So really this book is about understanding these three things better that, that I say I love, that everyone says they love, um, but really understanding what they're about and how, like, how milk becomes cheese. How does that happen? Right. Yeah. Uh, So, so understanding it through a first person experience of, of doing it, um, and, and kind of taking the reader along for the ride, both in terms of my personal journey, which is kind of the glue that, that keeps the book together. Um, but also just the science and kind of like nerding out about the fermentation process of each of these things, uh, and of course, there are recipes sprinkled throughout the entire book. So, you know, it. people might find it on the cookbook shelves of their of their local bookshop. But um, but it's it's a lot more than a cookbook. OK, yeah, I, like-
1: I love this idea because the cheese, wine and bread. I love those three things on their own. But I got really excited when I saw what why you were doing it, because they do have fermentation that links them all together. And if I mean, if you told me to look at grass and then look at cheese and say, "I'm going to make that into cheese," yeah. I'm like, "Wait, how does that happen?" And it all starts with an animal.
2: It all starts oh with it, yeah, it, it does. Well, or uh, you know, another way to think about it, and this is one thing that like I I learned. I learned so much in writing this book, right? So the book is not like, I'm an expert on these things and I shall tell you like, here's my chalkboard. <laughs> no, it's like, I am learning these things and, and the reader learns them along with me and therefore appreciates them along with me. And so I, I now have an understanding of the systems in which these foods get to our plates and therefore our mouths which was again my motivation for doing all this was like knowing how delicious it is in my mouth Mm -hmm. it's like let's rewind let's rewind let's keep let's keep you know looking oh and what's the step for this and what's the step before this and to your point about yeah it starts with the animal and the grass they're eating and that um all of these things are agricultural products right i mean when i eat a delicious bread typically i'm not thinking of the grain and the field of grain in which yep. you know that you know wheat or whatever other kind of grain is taken from and then milled and then oh and then that becomes the flour and the, you know there are so many things and I think peeling back those layers um, is so indicative of the quality of the product I mean is is it's everything and we never think about it. So thinking no. about it,
0: yeah, is mindfulness, everything right? Yeah. Mindfulness. That's mindfulness, like the philosophy yeah. of this, this podcast in a lot of ways. And yeah. as you're saying all this, yeah, the more attention you pay to, pay to something, and usually for the podcast, it's related to travel in some way, the more it enhances your experience. and Absolutely. The value of, the
2: time, of it is yeah, yeah. so much when you're higher. And
0: you're enjoying it and you understand it and you dedicated effort and time and energy into it. Yes. Uh, when you get to that finding, find that finished product, you can also soak in the process that led up to that point. And yeah, it's – and most of the time when we've had these conversations, it's been about a destination or an experience. We haven't really had a conversation where it related to food and being mindful of food, not only in appreciating the ingredients and the taste uh, and the process of eating, but going all the way back to the beginning, uh, how it was cultivated through, uh, you know, the the process of creating it. It's uh, This is really cool. So – And I I I want to say –
2: Oh, sorry. <laughs>
0: no, get, whoever wants to join. <laughs>
1: I think our listeners will will appreciate this. And I think they have an understanding of what good cheese, good wine, and good bread is. But I think there's a lot of Americans to this day that still think of like American cheese as yeah. cheese. They right. think of Franzia as wine or barefoot <laughs> as wine. And they think of like wonder sliced loaf bread as the only bread out there. And those to me are not cheese, wine, or bread. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Mm. Well, there it's really, really far from what it used to be. I mean, and not to be like, oh, things were better way back when, because, you know, that's, that's not entirely true. But one of the reasons I was so drawn to these three items is that they are some of our most essential foods. And when I say mm-hmm. our, I'm talking about the human like, species. I'm talking about like culturally- and especially in the countries also that I decided to do these deep dives England Italy and France the history of these things in these countries is so fascinating I mean I spent countless hours with my nose in history books learning about Oh, I thought you're gonna foods. say wine
1: glasses because that would also be great
2: <laughs> well that too I actually I did I did take wine classes again as and i I was able to chalk it up to research which was awesome yeah uh but but no but in all seriousness i had so much to learn um well so so what i was going to say when we totally um like jinxed each other's and hopped on at the same time is that um to your point of like american cheese that's cheese one thing i learned from being a cheesemonger working behind the cheese slate with these Neal's Yard Dairy specific. So they're all about British cheese. And Mm. so they work really closely with cheese producers all around Britain. And it's about farmhouse artisanal cheeses like it's it's, they do really incredible work. And um, this is the kind of cheese that tastes different wheel to wheel and Mm. season to season. and therefore part of our jobs behind the slate was to a make sure to communicate that with customers so taste this what are you tasting let's talk about it and b because we had to you know be a part of that conversation we were so encouraged to taste all day like literally to just little slices to taste and talk about
1: it sounds horrible
2: yeah it was awful (laughs) But it really, yeah, no, it really was incredible. And not just because cheese is delicious and I love to eat cheese, that too. But, and this again goes to the meditative aspect of this, which is you're tasting for subtleties. You're tasting for like, how is this slightly different than the wheel that we cracked open last week? And then not just thinking, tasting it, thinking about it, but discussing it, right? Mm -hmm. Talking about it with the other cheesemongers, with the customers. I mean, this was like, this was, this was the utmost importance in this job. I mean, this, co- yeah, this company is so great, like, you Neil know, dairy, I could just say great things. And I worked there as I was writing this book to learn about cheese, right? Like, um, there was really no other reason for me to like, put on my cheesemonger gear and do that. So I think that maybe also I had an extra antenna up knowing that I would be writing about all this. But um, just incredible to like, to think so so specifically and to express it
1: oh it sounds like we're talking about wine right because every wine every glass of wine every vintage year to year is different than the last and even bread like we can get into the fermentation of bread with sourdoughs and the different types of yeast that and bacteria that are specific to its location because it collects different air particles different soil And then that's what it uses to create the bread. So all of these, because it's a living thing, creating it and making that transformation, it will be different inherently. It's not like the super manufactured process where it removes any kind of not mutation, but differentiation per cheese or per loaf.
2: Absolutely. I am like 110% behind what you're saying. And, um, In fact, thank you. I feel like I distracted myself in thinking about the like the eating part of it, the tasting (laughs) of it. But yeah, but I think yeah, the point that I wanted to make is that this is different and special because what it's compared to is what most people think of when they think of cheese and it's the block cheddar on the grocery store shelves. Mm -hmm. So when you taste a cheddar that's slightly different every time, that sometimes is more crystallized, sometimes is a little nuttier, sometimes is a little more lactic or more, you know, it's like it's um, I think the differentiation is what makes it really special. Like, oh, this isn't what I thought cheese was. This is what cheese was. Oh, that's cool. Yep.
0: (laughs) This might bring us on a somewhat short tangent, but what makes the crystallization so, i love it. When I, when yeah. I got into cheese, I love yeah. it. I never, I like what it. does that? I never, I, even know. I
2: love it too. So that is maturation in, in, um, at work. So that is okay. the aging of the wheel of cheese. So those are protein. That's, that's so basically when, when a wheel of cheese is aged or matured, um, well, a few things happen. One, the liquid, like it literally, um, liquid kind of like evaporates from it. And, uh, historically cheeses were, were wrapped in like a cloth, like a linen cloth and rubbed with lard. And what that would do was the lard would seal it with, with the cloth. So it would be sealed. Um, but would allow just enough. It's not sealed like a, like plastic seals it. Mm -hmm. So it's allows just enough air in, um, and as it ages and, time and mites kind of work away at the, at the, um, linen cloth, the lard and the linen, um, more air is allowed in. And so that changes, uh, that changes everything, the texture, um, of the cheese. And also in a way the taste, because the taste, the flavors become more concentrated because as the liquid evaporates, the flavors concentrate and those protein, um, the casein proteins actually kind of crystallize
1: okay yeah Mm. i think it's so hard for me to decide if i like in general hard cheeses or soft cheeses more and they each have their merits yeah
2: it's like choosing a favorite child what do you even oh i know
1: (laughs) (laughs) but but they're so like if i guess if i if i have to eat a cheese on its own i think i would prefer a hard cheese like manchego Uh, Or a fontina. If I if I want to enjoy it with something else like a piece of bread, it will or with like sliced meats, it will probably be a soft cheese like a camembert or brie. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I see your I see your thinking there. I like Mm -hmm. it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, So let's take a step back for a minute and get a little bit on your backstory here. Um, We now know you spend time in, in France. England and Italy. You're in Italy now. A lot of our listeners are probably pretty curious how maybe they can follow your footsteps, do some, do do something similar, travel the world, of course, and eat along the way. So, yeah, let's take a step back and maybe bring us to the beginning of your travel endeavors.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, like I believe you've already mentioned, I'm from Ohio, um, small town in Ohio, and. Lived in Ohio my whole life. Went to college also in Ohio, and um, right out of college, I got a job uh, at NBC in the NBC Page Program. So if you've ever seen Tina Fey's show Thirty Rock, there's a character Kenneth the Page, and that is an actual yeah. role in that company. People think it's it's some it's a made up thing. No, it's very real. And <laughs> and we wore we wear, wore those hilarious uh suits with the peacock pin and everything
1: that's awesome Um,
2: yeah it was it was a it was an amazing it was an amazing opportunity because in that so it's a one-year program and it's rotational so you rotate around the company uh basically dipping your foot in the different parts of the industry an incredible experience also we were paid like nothing living in New York City and working six days a week, um, and so it was—it was like a boot camp. It was like I graduated college, and it's like a boot camp in New York City for the media industry—an incredible opportunity. But the the main thing that I took away from that ex- from that professional experience, plus being in New York City, was that oh, food is can be a, a job, like food is a profession. Like I'm interacting with and working with people who like that's that's what they do. And like, okay, so that's a part of the media world that I wasn't really aware of before that. And I've always like loved food. Like I've always been a big eater and like <laughs> I, I like food a lot, but um, I never really thought about it. I think I always thought, well, everyone has, um, you know, company casserole right like that's what we called like this casserole with like noodles and ground beef and sour <laughs> yeah. cream like a very midwest Ooh. dish it's like that oh everyone awesome. i mean yeah <laughs> artery clogging <laughs> yeah. delight um, no i mean yeah it's it's great but i think it was the first time i realized oh Wow, there's so much more to food than I ever knew there was, and meeting the characters behind these foods, and you know, spending like entire weekend days out in Flushing, Queens, which is like the you know the the real Chinatown, if you will, right? And just like, oh my god, and like dim sum and all that stuff, and oh, it was like, it just yeah. totally blew my mind. I mean, I, I it was, it was such a eye-opening experience, and so I think. When I moved to New York was when I realized I mean my world just opened. My world opened up both in terms of how I saw the world and and what's out there, but also like professionally and kind of being able to like put two and two together and being like, "Oh, so professionally if I pursue certain things then I get to actually pursue some of these other interests I have." Mm. Um so but then it let's see <laughs> my story I don't know you might have to help me uh narrow it down here
1: uh, <laughs> I guess the, what what led to your decision because you started in London right
2: right so well I started the book when I was living in London but okay. I went to culinary school before moving to London
0: okay well, so and, and yeah I,
2: and I read that you uh,
0: there was an accident or something that occurred in your life that actually contributed to I guess this path that you yeah
2: have. yeah Okay, so thanks for bringing that up. I never know if I ought to to bring it up. In fact, I almost didn't even write about it for the book. Uh, and I'm glad that I did because it's so hand in hand with the re like with everything else I've done, you know, it, because for me, like life and food travel and food. Like these are things that are so hand in hand. It's almost impossible to rip them apart same with like Mm -hmm. history and food right
0: right
2: and so rather than trying to be like okay i'm just gonna tell i'm just gonna talk about cheese wine and bread without sharing myself without being vulnerable without talking about what an awkward weird place i was in when we moved to london and didn't know anyone and didn't know what was happening and then we were about to get married and i was like just you know we were going through all kinds of like. Just like fermentation has like the weird, stinky, bubbly phases that you need to get through to get to like the delicious final product, you know that's what uh, we all go through that in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. We all mm-hmm. are being fermented at a given <laughs> time, and it's and it's you know getting through the 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 stinky phases to get to the deliciousness. So I realized I really have to I have to put it all out there in order to make a book worth reading because anyone can, you know, cheese, wine and bread and and yeah, but like, let's get vulnerable. So, so that's what I did. And so that's why I uh, start with the introduction of kind of explaining my backstory, which is uh, that I had a traumatic brain injury. It was after a ski accident um, in which I hurt my brain badly <laughs> and uh what happened what happened basically was uh out of control snowboarder cut me off and i went head first into essentially a big block of ice and oh uh, god was not wearing a helmet and um a- yeah and uh was in icu for about a week and had to relearn how to walk um moved back ho- so i had lived in new york at that point for like uh, five to seven years, I want to say, like stuff was going great. I was like, bam, 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 like killing it. Or so I thought, right. And um, like, you know, I was feeling pretty good about myself and I was about to go to Brazil to do this like video series um, and everything like life came to a complete halt, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, and I moved back in with my parents in Ohio and, you know, physical therapy and relearned everything um not everything but the the main part of my brain that was hit was my vestibular system which controls uh it controls our balance so basically Mm -hmm. i couldn't walk not because my legs were broken i couldn't walk because i could not balance i i couldn't balance like i couldn't stand on my own and in that time when everything came to a complete halt, I realized the things that I actually like love and the things I'm really naturally drawn to and the things that I was curious about and wanted to explore and wanted to learn more about. And, and that's where food really came front and center too. That's where food came smack front and center. And uh, while I didn't, I was, I was stuck in a small town in Ohio with like, you know, when I started to recover and was feeling kind of better, the first thing I did was I reached for my camera, which was a, you know, a skill from my life in New York, this like alternate life somewhere else that felt so separate from where I was. I reached for a camera and turned it on myself and just started talking about food and like the relationship with food and love and loyalty and all this stuff that was just (laughs) on my mind. And then, you know, and then making some of those dishes and that turned into what became my youtube channel which became my career for the i mean i still have it i still post every week so it you know henceforth my career yeah what is your
0: youtube channel just it's it's q katie so the letter
2: q katie um and i and it's still very food heavy but now it's also food travel so right now it's like all about getting used to life in italy yeah um Yeah, I don't know. Help me out, guys. I feel like I could just go off in a total uh, spiral out of.
0: No,
1: I I, (laughs) I, in in your rehabilitation and and doing all of this cooking, enjoying and realizing your love for food. Is that when you decided to do culinary school?
2: Yeah, Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it it was shortly, shortly thereafter. That's when I started the YouTube channel. And uh, well, shortly thereafter, when I moved back to New York, I started the YouTube channel. Okay. And let's see. Uh, and then it, and then that kind of took off that like took on a life of its own. And I was like, Oh, my, and that became my career. So like, I went back to New York, <laughs> got a got a temporary job back at NBC because of, you know, my, um, my former co workers there, I, I got a temp job there for a few months when I first landed back in New York started the youtube channel and then the youtube channel like became its own beast relatively quickly and and i just kind of just decided to dedicate all my time to that um and then i you know i partnered with this company called tastemade which kind of aggregates food youtube channels and and companies like big food companies go to tastemade and say hey we want this kind of like native advertising or branded content who do you have for us and that is how I was able to actually make it a viable, That's cool uh, career profession. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And like, I, you know, didn't kind of didn't anticipate that. And, um, so was able to put the other work to the side, just focus on creating content. And then maybe after, oh man, maybe eight months after starting the YouTube channel, I realized, oh crap. People are actually looking to me as like an expert and like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't actually know anything about food. Like, I just, yeah, I like to cook it. But, you know, I think there were a couple of things at play in deciding to go to culinary school at that point. One was hardcore imposter syndrome. And another was, uh, I just really wanted to go live somewhere else. I really wanted to, I wanted to, live somewhere internationally. Paris sounded awesome. And, um, and I was like, this sounds like a great opportunity. So I applied for school at Le Cordon Bleu and and went while I continued my YouTube channel the whole time, by the wow. way, so.
1: And for those of you that aren't familiar with Le Cordon Bleu, that is uh, the, one of the alumni is Julia Child.
2: Yes, yeah.
1: Yes. Which is, and there are many others that I'm sure most people would be familiar with if they saw or knew what their restaurant was. It's, that's a really incredible, like you, I know you understated that, but that is a really impressive achievement to get into the cordon bleu and oh, go through thank it. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, I have, I have the, well, actually, I don't think I have any lasting scars now. What is it? Five years later or something, but it was, it was hard. It kicked, it kicked my, behind it really (laughs) did i kind of walked in like oh you know i know how to cook whatever i'm just like doing this for the certificate no i learned skills yeah (laughs) this is a really really good experience uh,
0: one thing i'm curious about is and and this is this this is a curiosity that i've had for a long time how culture and food intertwine uh how they're related you know and how they kind of grow together in in a way i think i think
1: food is a main facet of culture
0: well so uh, food dictates culture you're saying
1: no i think it's a facet of culture i think food music architecture clothing those are i think the four main pillars of a culture
0: okay well katie in your experience and from what you've learned what input do you have on that like how what role does food play in identity of a culture.
2: I mean, I love this question and I think that this is something I, I think about it all the time, just like you. I'm so fascinated by it. I mean, I, I, I don't know if there is a correct answer, but I think the two like play off of each other. I mean, so for instance, being here in Italy, so like for breakfast here, for example, this is like a random example off the top of my head. I just
0: watched this video of yours. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah.
2: So breakfast here is like super light and super sweet, right? So for many people, a cappuccino is breakfast pasta. Or a cappuccino or a cafe, like an espresso or an espressino, a macchiato, some, some little kind of coffee type drink plus a croissant plus a, a brioche filled with heavy, you know, heavy cream. Deliciousness, In, yeah. Complete deliciousness. Chocolate cake. If you, Bob, if you saw my <laughs> yeah, yeah. my video, did, you know, I, I was yeah. like, chocolate <laughs> yeah. cake. What? I don't, I have this for myself when, like, on a special occasion. <laughs> this is this is <laughs> this legitimately is every, breakfast every day. At, like yeah. a, a weekday, like a random weekday, chocolate cake and a coffee.
0: It's fascinating. How are oh, they I not? Not only are they not, uh, you know, a traditional like a uh, overweight population, relatively speaking, but they also have like some of the longest lifespans in it, yeah. <laughs> like anywhere else in the world. Right? Um, how are they doing that, consuming so much food? <laughs> I
2: I wonder this too. I, you know, I do think like part of it's about. Okay, so there are like so many factors at play. Part of it is right. literally the produce here is very very seasonal. I mean. At, yeah. What I can get. And it it mm-hmm. took an adjustment coming from London, right? And before that, New York City, where I could get any ingredient I wanted. Mm-hmm. I can't find cilantro here. Oh, wow. That is wow. not, I'm not exaggerating. I cannot find cilantro here. And I've talked to other people just via the internet and so many others uh, in kind of my same shoes are like, yep, yeah, nope, no cilantro here. One person was like, I live in Rome and there is one market where you can get cilantro, but like, this is Rome. And so most places yeah. in Italy and where I am in southern Italy no like that's just not so at like my it's called the frutti vendolo my on the corner local fruit and veg place it is very seasonal and very local right and those two things go hand in hand of course there they there are issues with like industrialization in terms mm-hmm. of how the food is made and and plastic wrapped things that you would buy off the grocery store shelf. Of course that exists. But generally speaking, um, I, you know, I think that that is an element of it. I also think where I am here in the heel of the boot, the Mediterranean diet that you hear so much about, very olive oil based, um, like that, that is also real. And I also think I think moderation does play a role, right? And like mm. a little bit of, a little, yeah. bit of lunch, little bit of wine with lunch, a little bit of wine with dinner. Like it's all it's all good, right? And it's it's less of like this binging mentality. And it's you take your time over a meal, right? So yeah, you have a plate of pasta, sure. But you don't inhale it and then pound five beers or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making right. a scenario up, obviously. But yeah, yeah. it's a thing of like if you eat a plate of pasta over however however long of a time and just, you know I don't know. This is that's 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 my well, That's interesting, yeah. I mean uh, well that
0: but that, that ties back to culture, right? Where you have Italy, the culture around food is more geared towards appreciation yeah. of the food. And yeah. American culture and identity around food is more of a consumption
2: totally
1: and i think i think food in the united states is also Mm -hmm. like i just need to do this to get energy rather than i need to do this to enjoy it and spend time i think food in italy specifically and even spain and france is a is a social thing
2: absolutely you are doing this to spend
1: time with company
2: that's so true i think that it plays i'm gonna like circle it back to breakfast because i think breakfast is the exception actually because i think they look at breakfast as like just a little something sweet to start the day. Um, someone let's see, what was it? Someone was there's there's a saying that now I'm going to forget. But it was like so the, the word for bitter in Italian is Amaro. And it was something about how la vita e Amaro. So like life is bitter, So we need to start every day with something sweet. There's <laughs> there's like a saying yeah. like that. Um, but so something light, uh, light and sweet to like kick off the day. It's not going to take too much time. It really is a, a pretty quick thing, and um, even, you know, there's not a coffee culture, there's not a, a, a coffee cafe culture here where mm-hmm. you would go and park it at a coffee house for three hours with your laptop in front of you while you like slowly drain like a bottomless mug of coffee. That does that doesn't that doesn't happen here. So you go. You have your you have your you have your little espresso or a little something um, to pick you up and your little bit of sweet and you're off to start the day. But then when it's time to eat, you put things down, you put everything down and you come to the table and you gather around so many people. And I, I do think that potentially this is a difference between North and South Italy. So I don't necessarily want to say all Italians do this, but where, where we are here in South Italy, Things closed down. Everything is closed between like one thirty and five. Wow! You can't get anything. All the shops, all of the shops are closed. So like, it does like it doesn't matter food or um, clothing or whatever you want. It's closed because people stop. They often go home and eat lunch, like a prepared lunch with their family. And then they come back to work, and, let, and then what's odd for me is like shops are open from like five to nine, and I'm like nine o'clock, I'm in bed, yo, or I'm <laughs> yeah, like right. on my way there. So, yeah, it's just it's it's different culturally. It is different, and again, to how we started this conversation, which I just totally love, is like food and culture how they go so hand in hand. I think that rhythm of the day is completely. Uh, spurred on by, if, if not if not dictated by, spurred on by meals and mm-hmm. um, and the food culture of this place as well.
1: I think one of the things that's really interesting about breakfast in Italy is that when you're going to get a coffee, it is at basically a bar. Yeah, just you're it's like you're designed to not interact with other people. Like it is is your moment of solitude for yourself in the morning. And there's a reason it's quick is because it's not meant to be social.
0: Yeah, I I was watching that video, your, your Italian breakfast video as I was eating breakfast at my kitchen table. Uh, with a big dish of eggs and bacon. And yep. I had some yeah. fruit. <laughs> they have something sweet <laughs> hey. and, and toast. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, man, like I obviously I love travel and I love uh, picking up new cultures, you know, experiencing new cultures. And I just that's just one thing I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Like I would have to find eggs <laughs> somewhere. No,
2: honestly, well, because <laughs> my husband's also American. And so that is like maybe the one thing that we haven't completely like, so I'll meet up with like an Italian friend at the the bar. And it is literally called it's called the bar. It's yeah. not like where you go get happy hour. I mean, in some cases, you can go get your spritz there. An aperitivo there later in the day. But yeah, it's you go to the bar to get your coffee. Uh, so I'll, I'll meet I'll meet a, a friend, an Italian friend uh, or, or another um, fr- like I have some friends from like America, Canada, whatever, all around the world who are in this general area and so of course we are connected via the internet uh and have become <laughs> friends here and um so i'll go to the bar i'll have my cafe i'll have my <laughs> slice of cake or whatever <laughs> whatever little like little you know little kind of bite um and then i come home and i will typically eat another something because yo, this is an American stomach. And uh <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and like let's fill her up. No, I would say that actually um oatmeal is kind of my go to here. Like, right. Which Mousseli? is at home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh so good. But like, yeah, it's it's so good, but it's not super Italian. It's not like muesli is like super French, I think. Or yeah. I had a lot like, of muesli when I was in I Germany. I, in Germany, yeah. Yeah. And I know, like, when I was in France, like, yeah, a lot of people ate muesli. Here, it, it's it's available at the grocery store, but um, not as much, I, not as much, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I spent the it was like the week before Easter. I was in Rome for five days with my mom and my sister. And every morning, like I can still go back through my pictures and see that I had my little latte or cappuccino with either a cannoli, a croissant, a brioche, yeah. some kind of yeah. pastry or baked good. And, you know, I didn't hate it.
2: It's things <laughs> could be worse, right? Things could right. be much worse. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like I that is one of my favorite things to do wherever I travel is find a good bakery or coffee shop or sometimes both. Yes. and just sit down i mean i'm i'm the opposite of an italian i do like to sit down and enjoy it and take my time with it
2: for breakfast you mean for
1: breakfast yeah yeah
2: i mean i'm a proponent of doing that for every meal yeah
0: why right, not right right yeah oh.
2: I'm,
0: i like i want a cannoli now I'm like, i might. i had a, i had a cannoli i had a cannoli <laughs> twice this week
2: uh, <laughs> wait seriously yes so we
1: have so we have an italian restaurant in my hometown or where i live now and we had a cannoli last night and then we went out to lunch on a tuesday and the, the it's a brew pub and they have really good cannolis they get it from a bakery that's local and it's delicious and mm-hmm. you know we just it's a weak spot
0: yeah so good my favorite dessert Whoa! Full stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Oh If I had to pick one thing, but I, I love that cream. The, that filling yeah. is so good. N- yeah, know. the cheese with the chocolate chips. Yeah, yeah. Could, uh, yeah, yeah. If I could pick one dessert item, what's, what do you, what's your what's you guys? you had to pick it's one, it's
1: so hard. For the longest time, it was tiramisu because I love coffee. And like mm-hmm. the, the espresso topping, the the soaked lady fingers with. Um, and espresso is
0: just, it's delicious. I, I love how hard Katie contemplated this. Let's-
2: I'm literally, I'm like, this is the, why, why do you people make me choose between soft and hard cheese and favorite bread? No. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like, listen, I typically anything chocolate I'm like a hundred percent down for, I'm going to mm-hmm. take this opportunity to share with you my what can i share with you two of my absolute oh my god because which Please one to do. choose two yeah. of my absolute favorite
1: desserts uh, yeah.
2: and their recipes from the book so and literally but like literally my favorites um one that has gotten quite a bit of attention since the book came out uh what just like a week ago uh is these cheddar brownies
0: mm. I saw those. oh yeah
2: and oh that's oh, not really wow. going to work with the uh, background
0: really
2: no it no. didn't really come through but uh they are legitimately amazing because so you know get some some of that mature cheddar right so it's okay. got the crystallization which caramelizes in the oven um it takes on a sweetness it um it also maintains some of like nutty nuances that is like just a beautiful complement to this fudgy chocolate of the brownie, right? It's like nuts, but not nuts. And it's more <laughs> delicious because it also brings a sweet and savory element. Um, mm. Sweet and savory is the best combo. I mean, this mm-hmm. like down. this recipe is a game changer. And I'm not just saying it because it's in my book. It's because it is how I will always make brownies, uh, if at all possible. Um, it's really stinking good. So again, I'm a fan of chocolate anyway. So I would say chocolate. Chocolate and this, cheese.
1: Yeah.
2: Chocolate and cheese. Now you know. And uh, these chocolate brownies here. are amazing.
1: I'm going to have to and make then, that. Yeah. I, may, I may make them tonight.
2: I, You really should. Oh, I want to uh, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm do the sourdough bread. But Katie, go ahead. Let's hear the other one.
2: Okay, second, the second one. And I guess it doesn't matter if I find the picture in it to show mm-hmm. you guys, does it? Because it doesn't really show up on this. But- you
0: a Very good job of describing it.
2: Yes. So this no, you can't see it at all. It's not sure no. at all. <laughs> it is, uh and so this is in the uh, wine and Italy section, and it is the white wine and olive oil cake Ooh. with red wine buttercream frosting.
1: Oh my god! I love and, olive oil cake. Yeah. I well, it's so love moist. It. Yeah, yeah, it's
2: so stinking good. So toss a little white wine in with that and you're and and you are good to go it's it's really good and then I also have a uh like I make a boozy mascarpone filling as well with mascarpone mixed with (laughs) kirsch and yeah it's it's really really good and uh again you know this I mean this is my husband's absolute all-time favorite cake now like for his birthday he like requests this
0: I am I am. Yeah, it is. up in a few it, months. It is. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> yeah.
2: it's completely delicious and also just really fun, too, because you're adding wine to cake and that's yeah. fun.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh,
2: so I'm going to say, if I had to choose a favorite dessert, one of those. Is that narrowed down enough?
0: It does, I, I want to take mine does, back. I haven't good. even tried them yet, but I want to take mine back and pick that as well. <laughs> I know. Right? Okay, yeah. I think I want to yeah, pick the cheddar, the, the cheddar brownies.
2: You guys so, got it. Seriously, let me know when you make it. I. I want Will to do. hear your thoughts. Oh, so yeah. like the first time we, the first time I I made this, and this was before I really like kind of perfected the recipe that is now in the book, but I was totally skeptical. I was, it was when I was a cheesemonger. One of my cheesemonger buddies was like, Yeah, try. We were talking about our favorite cheddar cheese, Montgomery's cheddar. She was like, Yeah, you know, one time for a dinner party, um we did, we like threw some cheddar in with the brownie. It was amazing. And I was like, I don't believe you, that's weird, like that sounds, I was just like, I like quirky things, but I was like, that might be too quirky. Well, I went home and tried it and, you know, biting into it kind of still warm from the oven. My husband was like, wait, this could, this, it could be like white chocolate or something, but it's Mm. because it just takes on this, but then it's not because then it hits you with like some umami, like, and it's just, Yeah. 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 This is to say that I was skeptical. Sweet and salty. And yeah, yeah. And, but it really, really, really works. So, yeah,
1: because to me that sounds like those cream cheese, like the cheesecake brownies. Yeah. But this yeah. is those sometimes can even be too sweet. I think the com. I mean, this already sounds like it has a very nice complementary flavor profile.
2: It's got the balance that you're yeah. yeah that you're missing with that cream cheese brownie. Yeah, I totally totally agree. Yeah.
0: So hungry right now. I know I know
2: I'm actually I'm hungry too you guys it's it's like dinner time over here you're getting me ready for dinner
1: well I and you mentioned being quirky your your logo or your motto on your YouTube channel is keep it quirky
2: yeah yeah and I I really try and live by that as well because I don't know I just think that if you if you keep it quirky like life is just more fun when we don't take ourselves so so seriously yeah well
1: and then you keeping it quirky opens you up to new ideas too. Cause you're like, oh, well if I do something else that I've never done before, that's also really weird. Then maybe I'll like that. Like finding Absolutely. cheese and brownies.
2: Yes. Well, and what you yeah. just, yeah. what you just kind of touched on there and I'll just put words to, because this is exactly what you were getting at is the curiosity that yeah. that is a part of keeping it quirky. Yeah. And it just find that it like, improves every moment
1: (laughs) absolutely so speaking of curiosity i i was very curious a long time ago because cheese is one of those things and some comedians even hint at it like how did humans come up with cheese and they're like the so one of the comedians i forget who it was they're like i'm just gonna leave this milk out for a few days and let it spoil and then it's gonna turn hard and then i'm just gonna try it (laughs) right so (laughs) there there is a theory that i've read that is potentially i mean right milk used to be stored in animal stomachs is that the same theory that you've heard and yeah and this
2: is actually i write about this a bit in the book as well of like the the origins of of cheese yeah yeah exactly so rennet is an enzyme found in the the stomach of ruminant animals so things you know cows sheep mm-hmm. um and yeah that that used to be a a way of for travelers for for people who um what's the word for someone like nomads nomads who would, like always be on the move yeah. that was one way of storing things and yeah so oh put milk to store it in this stomach lining of a, of a ruminant animal oh and then the enzymes in it called rennet uh coagulate the milk, separating it into whey and curds like, Mm -hmm. you know, Little Miss Muffet taught us all. Um, (laughs) And then the curds, which are the casein proteins can then be formed into every different kind of cheese. And this is like, what's so fascinating. It's like, wait a second. So you start with these curds. Okay. And then it depends. All right. It depends how much whey you drain. And then it depends. On just like a bajillion different uh, factors, including temperature and salt and all of this stuff, but basically the same curd can be made into a brie or a cheddar. I mean, yeah. there are are just infinity decision makers that a cheese that a cheesemaker makes
1: yeah. to oh, determine
2: which way it goes yeah it's it's fascinating stuff
1: so the time you spent in london doing all the cheese stuff reminded me of an episode of chef's table and i don't know if you're a fan of chef's table and the it's fact a that beautiful you're
2: beautiful series which which it episode is.
1: so i i forget what the name of it was but they were in northern italy and it was a cheese making town that does parmesan oh and... was this the
2: massimo Batura yes yes episode that one yeah
1: and they had that earthquake and it basically ruined probably I forget how much cheese it was but it would have ruined their entire co- economy of the town so massimo basically found ways to use cheese and partnered with all of these restaurants throughout northern italy and found buyers for all of this parmesan and it's so so cool it makes me want to do uh, like cheese not cheesemongering but like it's called agritourism We've talked about it on this, on this podcast a little bit, but I really want to go to a farm. I want to work on that farm for a little bit. I want to kind of reap the rewards, live with a family and see what it's like and actually turn something from the land into something edible.
2: So this is uh, the, here in Italy, Agriturismo, is what it's called. It sounds very similar, uh, and that is the family that I stayed with in Northern Italy when I when I did the wine harvest. okay. Um, and that's like the first couple chapters of the of the wine section are all about my time in Friuli, which is up northeast Italy, like right on the Slovenia border. Um, okay. I stayed with this family and um, helped them with the wine harvest and spent time in their cantina making the wine. And yeah, agriturismo is an incredible concept. Um, yeah. and, and I love that. yeah, I love it. I I really, I love it. And I highly, highly recommend you do it.
1: It's like the ultimate form of understanding culture while traveling.
2: Yeah. 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 Right. And And it goes back to what we were saying about before, right? Because food and culture is so hand in hand, the better you get to know one, the better you get to know the other.
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, just by understanding food of a culture, you get insight on their history, you get insight on their day to day. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really the, the bedrock or the foundation of culture. in of Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: I have this like daydream of, um, you know, maybe if this book sells enough and I'm just like, d- you know, don't have to, don't have to worry about, um, making money ever again. I will, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I really, I really want to go back to school and like, Get a degree in food anthropology
1: oh um, man is that a thing
2: yeah it's a thing you can get a phd there's i was looking at this one program indiana university actually has oh, wow. like this great phd program in food anthropology um but i think you can also just get an anthropology masters or phd and then um, focus and, and focus yeah and that okay I, Maybe I that's a, the route I'll end up going in in some time in life. But yeah, I'm so I'm so fascinated. That'd be exciting. Yeah, Jeez. man. I took a
0: cultural anthropology class. Uh, I think it was like my freshman year of college, and it changed like the trajectory of my life. It opened my eyes in like so many ways about the world and.
2: But yeah, it, it is that rest- is a huge statement. That you it just is made. a huge statement. Yeah. Rest assured, had Bob yeah. not
1: taken that class, oh, we would not be friends.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Oh, well, it, it opened up my eyes on yeah, just understanding the beginnings of you know man. In some ways, uh, yeah. giving me different insight on religion. Um, yeah, like it was it was really a remarkable class. I really enjoyed it. I ended up buying the book later in life, and I read it on my own again um what book it. cannibals and kings it's called
2: i've heard of it
0: yeah yeah it's it's not that long i of think long. i've heard of it
2: unless or unless it just has like such a nice ring to it that it i'm making it, kinda up that I've heard like of
0: it. it, sh- it kind of sounds like it's like a game of thrones book or something it, it kind of does. does actually
2: wait is <laughs> cannibals... it so obscure that like i really wouldn't have heard of it because it's possible I, that it just sounds catchy i don't
0: know i just i just typed it into google and it came up five out of five on barnes and noble And a 4.1 out of 5 on Goodreads.
2: I swear that
1: 1977,
0: wow. Yeah, it was really good.
2: You know, actually, I think I have because I was talking with a friend of mine who did like an anthropology, had like an anthropology minor at Oxford University. And I was like, okay, you're smart. Tell me all the books I need to read. And I think (laughs) that this was one of them. I really do think that I actually have seen this before.
0: Interesting.
1: So... This is a s- small side tangent here, but when you Google search Cannibals and Kings, Marvin Harris also did cows, cows, pigs, uh, wars and witches, which now that has me really intrigued to see what is that about? If that's because that he's an anthropologist. I, I hope so, the
2: cheese has to do with the cows.
1: Yeah, that would be, now I'm going to look it up. And <laughs> I later, mean, it I'm just going to, I'm going to save it for later to do some more research
0: interesting so Uh,
1: one thing we have not talked about this entire conversation is the last portion of your book bread yes yes sourdough specific is is sourdough the only fermented bread
2: yeah i mean it needs sourdough needs to sourdough is the thing in bread that makes it fermented well oh oh no so no a bread can have added yeast and still be a fermented product okay so, but it is the addition of yeast that makes the bread, and so and that's what sourdough brings. It brings bacteria and yeast that then you know okay. creates because what happens is the the yeast eats the sugars in the dough and then it, as a byproduct, it's carbon dioxide, which is what makes it puff up and and you know what we think of when we think of a beautifully risen uh, you know pocket filled. Uh, bread, that mm-hmm. is a result of fermentation. And okay. that can be with either added yeast saccharomyces cerevisiae is the the name of of the yeast Man, that just add- rolls right off the tongue. It really? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. That's the same strain of yeast that's uh, used for beer brewing as well. Okay. And so actually, I didn't know that I would fo- end up focusing on sourdough when I began this journey, when I put together the book proposal. I had no idea. And actually, if you look at the outline of the book proposal that I shopped around, um, it was just about bread. It's just bread in France, you know, and we think about or at least I think about France and I think about bread, amazing bread and mm-hmm. baguettes sticking out of people's bags as they're yeah. walking down the streets. And, you know, and th- and that's true. I mean, Again, culturally, bread is a huge thing in France and historically has been a huge thing in France. Marie Antoinette, when she said, let them eat cake, what she literally said, the, the well, it's also disputed whether or not she actually said it, right? But uh, what the, the phrase that she s- supposedly said in French was ended with brioche. So it was like, on mange brioche or something like that. So let them eat brioche, which is a type of bread. Yeah, it's a type of bread. And so what she was saying was like, because people couldn't get bread, the French Revolution was in part started because people could not get their daily bread. And so then it was her being like, oh, let them eat the fancy bread for all I care. And they're like, yo, we can't even get our bread. Anyway, so (laughs) culturally, bread is... (laughs) very very significant in france and so that's how that was like how i thought i was going to approach this whole thing um the more i started talking to people making bread in france and people who live in france and the way the evolution of bread in that country the more i realized okay sourdough is the thing to talk about here uh it's people doing things despite obstacles. It's people doing things the hard way. and that's always where the stories are, right? It's when people are doing something even though there's a greater challenge, even though they have to climb the mountain to do it. Um, and and that is sourdough in France right now.
1: Okay. I have my wife and I have done sourdough starters from one was from a a friend of the family they had started it probably five or six years ago What when, when by the time we got it and then we maintained it for probably two years and they're like wow you actually are still using it that means you are the longest person to have used it that we've given it to i was like Aww. great great now All it's a, now it's a central pa starter um and then we didn't make it enough and it kind of died and then for Christmas this past year, my brother-in-law actually got me. I don't know if you're familiar with these, they're called man crates. No. They are specifically <laughs> geared towards men, and they're they actually come in these wooden boxes that you have to physically open with a crowbar. There's they're super oh my manly. God. And this he is got me a genius
2: marketing move.
1: <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but they have so many different stuff in there, but they have like a maker and DIY. And they have everything from brewing to winemaking to like curing your own bacon to making your own knives and one of them is a sourdough starter kit so we did that again this year and we we did pizza but we we still have not perfected the actual loaf and we cannot get it to rise appropriately so we now have a cheese wine and bread book where we're going to start a new starter follow everything as it should be followed rather than trying to take pieces from different youtube videos and culinary sources. We'll just yeah, you know, and,
2: and let me know, let me know how that, how that goes. I mean, that is what I wanted with the bread section, aside from, you know, talking about these incredible artisans who I worked with and, and the story element was it that I really wanted people to be able and to not feel intimidated to, to make their own sourdough starter and then to make amazing loaves of bread. So I really try to, break it down, walk people through it. And again, this is where I think in a way it it helped that I was learning so much as I was going, as I was writing it, because I would have questions, talk to the people who knew what they were talking about and then get, and then provide the answer. Right. And then at the end, so I wrote, I, I first started this book, like three and a half, 4 years ago. So a while ago, I mean this is something I worked on for a very long time. So at this point, you know, and by the time it's like the manuscript is actually coming together, I'm like, "Oh, I can make a sourdough loaf really confidently." But my mom, who is an incredible bread baker in her own right but only ever used added yeast, I wrapped I looped her into it. I was like, "Hey mom, do you want to try sourdough?" And she was like, "I'm I've been intimidated by it my whole life. I've never yeah. I've never wanted to try it. I was like, do me a favor, try it according to my directions, to my recipes, what I talk about in the book. And you know, your feedback is going to help me form a something that is actually helpful for people who want to do this. And so that's what that's what we did. And um, yeah, so I'm pretty confident that that you will be able to get see some value in that.
1: I can't wait. The only bad thing about making these sourdough loaves. that the last time we did it they would last a day and a half
2: oh because you just ate them so fast
1: oh yeah they're so delicious especially when they're warm right out of the oven
2: i know it's so Ah. but like a part of the perk of also sourdough is that these loaves last longer they really do Mm. they don't they literally do not get moldy as fast well that's Um, good
1: I mean, yeah. I don't think they'll last more than three days. Well,
2: no I, I mean, <laughs> because you're yeah. eating them so fast. Yeah. So, yes. so it's you know you've got thumbs up on all sides.
0: Yeah. I think out of the three, here's another <laughs> that I'm gonna force you, you people to. <laughs> yeah. Don't. don't. I, out of the three, cheese, bread, and wine, which one's your favorite?
2: <sighs> you know, this is a mean question. <laughs> <It's> really <laughs> we, cool. You don't have to
0: answer. We can leave the clip All right. Well, no, no, you I mean, asked no, no, it. I'll,
2: Yeah, yeah, I'll answer. answer I'll I'll, Uh, I'll answer. I'll answer. Oh, yeah, no, you answer first. Let me give me some time to think. (laughs) Uh,
0: If I had to pick one, I would pick bread. Yeah, I think it's easy for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Between cheese, wine, and bread. um, Yeah, yeah, I'm going bread. I feel confident in that answer. Okay.
2: Uh Oh, Um, is it my turn? No, I I can go. You
1: can still think. (laughs) Yeah, you go. You go. I think I would have to pick wine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh well should, I feel like I should just choose sorry am I allowed to cuss I think I kind of just yeah, threw in my best word
0: sorry s word like
2: I'm like who am I okay I'm just trying to be good for you guys okay well, this is a um, radio no.
0: we're the producers as well so yeah okay
2: great then there's I'll no just there's no higher drop command. all the bums. Yeah. um okay so I mean in order to like round it all out I feel like I should say cheese uh which which was the way I was going but uh, but can I can I kind of take some liberty with your question? Absolutely. And instead, rank them. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Just because I love them all, you know. But but I, but I'll. And I think in ranking them will help me kind of like. Understand my th- my thoughts on this. So I'm gonna go cheese, bread, wine. Okay. Okay. The reason for wine being in last place. I'm sorry, wine is that. I mean, if okay, if I have cheese and bread in front of me, let's say I have a grilled cheese sandwich, for example, I might reach for beer, Mm. you know, so like, Mm -hmm. uh, like, listen, I love, love, love wine. But like in some cases, it's like I've got my cheese and my bread and I'm going to choose beer with this. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, the reason that cheese gets gets a little leg up over bread is because I'll eat cheese really happily on its own for a very long time, as I did when I was a cheesemonger, <laughs> like bits of cheese all day long. Uh, and because you don't necessarily like fill up, you don't get like super like bloaty with just snacking on cheese all day. Oh. I know from experience. <laughs> but with bread, I I mean, I love bread and I have bread every day. And like, I love making it, I love eating it. But, um, I al- I almost always love to put something with my bread. If it's mm-hmm. a good salted butter, if it's cheese, it you know it can be, or if it's just dipping it in some olive oil or whatever, or or sopping up sopping up the sauce, right? The 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 pasta sauce, doing a little scarpetta. You're speaking
0: my language oh, right my now. God. Yes, oh, right? Yeah.
2: It's so good. So like I love bread all the time, every meal of the day, in all of these kind of different ways but just alone. That's why cheese gets, gets okay, the right. gold.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I would. When I said bread, I was thinking more because it's such a versatile uh, food. and mm-hmm.
2: and because it's breakfast, lunch, dinner and snack. Yeah, I yeah. get it. Kugis, yeah. yeah. I,
0: mean, well, not, I
2: think that's why I had to rank it because I had to like, yeah, give,
1: yeah. Give, Interesting. And I everything said,
2: it's due credit, right?
1: I said wine because of the experiences I typically have with wine. Right, mm-hmm. Wine I almost always have in a social setting, and it's always with friends, and it almost always leads to great conversation,
2: yes, I love that. the association yeah. with yeah. the product mm-hmm. and and but, like, okay, this is gonna this is going back to what we talked about at like the beginning of the podcast. But when you compared the way I was talking about cheese to the way that most people think about or talk about wine, that experience that you had with that you have with wine and why you put it at the top can be had with everything we experience if we don't yeah. think of cheese as this commodity that just is like slapped on like who cares it should be 2 bucks whatever when we attribute <laughs> the value to it right this is like totally circling back to the beginning of the conversation but it can be that product as well i think so
1: like i this makes me want to have not just a a wine tasting party which my wife and i have done but like actually pair this up with a cheese tasting party Mm -hmm. and physically or not physically but mentally take the time to think about the cheeses and the different flavor profiles within those cheeses because all of them can be so different and absolutely when you get like a charcuterie board i i am a huge fan of taking if there are you know three different cheeses three different meats and three different condiments whether that be honey uh dijon mustard with whole seed or like a fig jam i want to try each cheese with each meat with each <laughs> through of the condiments each of the And just like my wife and i tried to figure out all right we're going to maybe tenth grade math here to figure out if it's a permutation, a combination, how many of them there are.
2: <laughs> I love too many. you guys are so fun. Have you made? Have you like done like a Google spreadsheets of this yet? <laughs> uh,
1: not yet, but that is not outside of our wheelhouse.
2: I yeah, I can tell. I can tell. And that was
1: that was actually not supposed to be punny, but it was.
0: Elliot, very quickly, tell her about uh, your pizza. Uh, I know it's really not related completely, but. Um... So you have, pizza. you have a pizza map.
1: Yes. So my wife is a huge, absolutely huge fan of pizza in all shapes and sizes. And starting in 2016, so this is now five years, she has logged every single slice of pizza she's ever eaten.
2: <laughs> she and might have- be my new favorite pizza person and I've never even met her this is amazing
1: and so she has this so every time we have pizza she logs where it was from and where it was eaten and then what the what each slice was whether it's a half slice and a slice and we've had debates on what a slice is considered because Sicilian is different than a deep dish is different than a thin slice and the sizes are all different depending on if it's a small medium or large anyway we have, and then we take the address of where it was eaten and throw it onto a Google Earth map. Oh, my and gosh. And each location is a little slice of pepperoni pizza.
2: So here's my question. Do you have like a designated day per week or per month or whatever to, to eat? Or is it is it kind of just like, oh, if I'm having pizza on this random Wednesday, then I... Yeah, it's that. It's the latter. Okay. okay. Yep. So I love this so much. I might I might have to... to borrow that idea and do my own version of it but what we do uh in this house and this is since i just totally hopped on the sourdough train and became obsessed um is i make a sourdough pizza every friday every without fail so like i brought my sourdough starter from london to italy so that i could land and have pizza ready for friday night pizza night
1: Wow. There we go. <clears throat> wow! So the I take it very seriously. The family, yeah. the friends of the family that gave us the sourdough, they had—I kid you not—the same tradition: sourdough pizza every Friday night.
2: Yeah, it's so good. It's such a good tradition. It it's like end of the week, and it's a reason you know, to celebrate.
1: Pizza can be not unhealthy.
2: Yeah. i mean honestly i don't feel like it's unhealthy at all when we make it honestly because yeah. i know what's in the dough i know i yeah. use good stuff and it's sourdough which again i like it is healthier like it it really eh, is whatever I'll i can go in, into uh, like some of the science boringness i talk about it in the book um in and i write about it in a way that's much more intelligent than i will sound talking about <laughs> it but because they're like phytase is i don't even like Basically fermentation breaks down foods in a way that predigests them for your body. Okay. And so literally you're lightening the load on your digestive system. And this is like, this is not at all the focus of the book or of the bread section, but I do mention it partially because it came up so frequently in my interviews and why one woman, um, I mean, a few, but woman, one woman in particular who I interviewed, who's a really well-known sourdough baker and author. The entire reason she got into sourdough baking was because she could not eat other breads. Oh. Her, bo- she, her body, her body, like rebelled, and so so much. It's all very tied into like the gluten-free thing, and like, oh, I I have a gluten intolerance or
0: yeah.
2: gluten allergy. In many cases, it's actually just industrialized bread that is because what industrialized bread tries to do and what added yeast does is it, it speeds up the fermentation process, right? It's like quick, it's like quick, quick acting, fast rise, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it also makes breads and doughs more susceptible to being mixed with a machine mixer, mm-hmm. whereas sourdough is a little more delicate and you really, it's it's much easier to work with sourdough if you're just working with your hands. Um, This is all to say she and many others have found out, oh, I'm not gluten intolerant. I, I Maybe I'm gluten intolerant with this type of bread, with this type of the added yeast and these flours that also have additives to them to make them work better with the machines, blah, blah, blah. Oh, if I'm using flour, which like, blah, blah. again, it goes back to the systems, right? So that's yeah. why you have yeah. to talk about the farmer growing the grains, yeah. right? And I milling eat. it and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, oh, I can eat this. No problem. No problem. Yeah. This is all to say, I think my sourdough pizza nights are actually quite healthy because then I put veg on them that I get from the fruity vendolo and, you know, and I make my own tomato sauce and, I actually feel darn good about my pizza
0: <laughs> Um Yeah, I'm sure they're amazing. <laughs> I, I, I just, I voted to add, I think that, um, most people's, not, not more, I shouldn't say most, um, a lot of people's issues with their body and what they can digest is all traced back to them. Just not eating a proper diet. They think they are, but they're not. And I think a lot of people can solve a lot of different things, even unrelated to like the physical feeling of like mood and stuff. Uh, if you just tweak your diet a little bit and play around and experiment with it,
2: yeah, yeah. I agree. I better think better ingredients. I think it's also really interesting with like what we think is healthy. Like I don't know, I, I don't uh, well, know. Like changes. People, mm. Well, it changes. Well, like tre- like trends absolutely yeah come and go. But it's like so much of the time, it's like oh, you think you're being really healthy when buy like you grab like your granola bar to go and like oh, it's a it's trying to. be But it's jam packed with like sugars and all these other things. 30 grams of sugar in it. Yeah. Right.
1: I never go for anything fat free.
2: No, exactly. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah. It's all sugar. Um, It's all sugar. Or sugar alcohols.
1: And there's other things added
2: to it that are just to like make up for the. that freeness right but yeah. like, and, it, and we
0: touched up on this in, in the podcast um but i think part of the reason italy is so healthy comes down to their agreements did you, did you ever watch that show with zach efron that he traveled <laughs> with the guy
2: i've Darren, never seen Darren. it but i knew he the, i knew zach efron had a travel show because i remember being like what What? <laughs> yeah. i've never watched it is it actually good should i watch it
0: i i enjoyed it i think elliot might have been a little bit on the fence i would or, yeah
1: like, <laughs> i think i did enjoy it but it, it's you have to like Zach.
0: So Zach is there for his name. Um, and I think probably his looks and the personality, the, the celebrity personality that he brings. The guy that he's with is Darren Owen. Um, and he wrote a book called Super Life that I wrote. And he's actually the scientist. He's the researcher. He's the guy that really knows this stuff. And they met. And Zach liked Darren's work and said, I'll create a show with you. So you take me around the world and show me all these different diets, and so Zach brings a very bro-y celebrity aspect to it. But if you can, if you can learn to enjoy it and accept it, then you can really get something out of the show.
2: Okay, no, that's cool.
0: Yeah, I also
2: yeah. respect that. Like Zach Efron realizes that this is his role in it. Like that is yeah. who, he needs to almost play this character, and who because who knows? Maybe that is how he is in real life. I, you know, obviously I don't know, but. That he needs to pl- be that role as like a, you know,
1: he's, he's playing the every, the every man. Exactly.
2: Th-
0: that show would not have taken off if it wasn't for his name being tied to. Of course, right? it would have just of course, been another... he
2: realized he needed to yeah, be that.
0: Yeah. But anyway, they go to Italy and they, they interview these people. They call them centurions and they're people that live to a hundred. Um, and there's like a huge population of them. And I want to say actually Sicily or Stromboli, one of the islands um, in that area, but yeah, and so Zach was there and he was like, you know, they ended up figuring out that the diet of these Italians was high carbohydrate. And Zach made the joke that his entire acting career, they eliminated carbs from his diet because he needed the abs and all that stuff. And it was always high protein. And they, they're finding out that like the high protein diet is actually more harmful. It's a high carbohydrate diet, but a good ingredient, you know, with a good ingredient base, not just any carbohydrate, obviously um, it needs to be good healthy ingredients um and it it can work and it can make you healthy so it was it was really cool uh definitely Mm -hmm. check that out
2: i i'm going Mm -hmm. to i love that no but it just it does go to show like you need to go back to the very like you need to go to the origin you need to see that yeah Yeah. all right
1: do you have something that no i think i think we covered some of your locations that people could find your book which i mean literally is you could find anywhere that books are sold um can you share some of your social media your youtube channel again and any yeah. other place that you'd like people to find you
2: yeah happily so on youtube it's q katie and uh also q katie on instagram and uh, kind of all the places so just q katie <laughs> check it out <laughs> uh yeah
1: all right and, and then, get the
2: book because yes I think you'll like yeah it. yes yeah. <laughs> uh
1: so Katie, one of the things that we intentionally leave out when we are corresponding is the rapid fire questions <gasps> round. So we've got 10 questions and just try to answer as quick as you can. Some of them are going to require more thought, but
2: I'll <laughs> get right. it started. What is no the worries. first
1: word that comes to mind, comes to your mind when you hear the word travel?
2: Exploration.
0: What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling?
2: Peanut butter. Uh, yeah,
1: I've
0: I've that's heard that. That's
2: really random. That no, I, that's that real love. Again, I'm going off of what, what's on the top of my head. And they don't that's have because, that in
0: Italy, though, right?
2: No, exactly. So yeah, this yeah, is yeah. obviously very tied to my current exact <laughs> moment of uh, of life, where yeah. I just missed some good peanut butter and cilantro. And cilantro. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
1: If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Wine. Yeah. Mm. Not melted. melted cheese.
2: I'm telling you, putting like when you when you're making cheese and putting your hands and arms in curd, it is the it is one of the more enjoyable uh, sensory feelings I've ever had in my life. But I don't know. I feel like no. I want to swim in wine because I want to like (laughs) when (laughs) I come above above Mm air. Yeah.
0: What travel book has had the biggest influence on your life?
2: Wow. Oh, I think that I might say, um, Fuchsia Dunlop's book. Um, I'm gonna mix it up. Uh, sharks, sharks, fin soup and Sichuan pepper or Sichuan. What? Uh, I can't believe it's, I always mix up the two. It's an incredible, uh, it's an incredible, uh, travel, food, culinary guide, uh, Basically, Future Dunlop is this incredible cookbook author, and she wrote about. Um, she moved to China as soon as China opened its borders, okay. like in the eighties. Wow, okay. there were no other like white people in China, wow. and she went there and like again, totally immersed herself. Um, and it's amazing. Yeah,
1: it's we we I did find it. It's shark's fin and Sichuan pepper. A Sweet Sour Memoir of Eating in China. That was the full title.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's incredible.
1: That sounds awesome.
0: Yeah. I'm adding it to my list. I I, I know. I I add all. From this podcast (laughs) to my list. Yeah.
2: I bet so.
1: Yeah. Uh, Say hello in your favorite language.
2: Ciao. (laughs) Not a (laughs) reaper. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: if If you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be?
2: Oh, I mean, I have, I, this is 100% true. It's going to sound so freaking corny, but my, my heart, my husband, my partner, Connor, he's yeah. the best travel buddy. Yeah. The best.
1: And that's why you, that's why you picked each other.
2: That's why I picked each other. I, I, I dedicated the book to him too. Oh, so that's nice. that is you nice. You know, heart, hearts all around. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if you, oh, nope. That's yours, Bob. If what is one item? remaining on your bucket list.
2: One item remaining on my Just bucket one. list. Just one. Oh gosh, do You <laughs> The thing, okay, I mean, uh how like personal do we want to get guys? So, I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> I just need to, I've now I'm too far into this to like backtrack and do something else. <laughs> We're all
0: curious. Yeah. Jesus
2: yeah. Christ. What am I even I doing? I mean, it's just, it's just the
1: three of us talking.
2: Okay. Yeah. yeah it's the three of us talking. Um, I mean, I would love to have a family. I would love to like have a family. I feel like I want to experience that. Uh, I would, I would love to have a family. All right. So yeah. that's, that's on my bucket list. Totally I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Life is great. And mm-hmm. I'm super content and. Going forward, that's something I'd like to do. Very
0: yeah, relatable. <laughs> okay. uh, let's see. If you could pick an actress to play you in a movie, who would you choose?
2: Ooh, that's a fun question. Well, Julia Roberts has already been taken uh, with Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> um, all all books with the three title with like th- three items can't be played by Julia Roberts. <laughs> no, but play me a book. That's uh, Ra- uh, Rachel McAdams. Oh, I really? see that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. I, I, I like her. She's a good. I like her. I like her too. Yeah, I I liked her a lot in True Detective. But
1: I have not yeah. seen that show. I have yeah. All right. If you were stuck in a city for the rest of your life, which one would you choose?
2: New York
0: City. Okay. Ooh, whoa! Really, New York City.
2: I I've lived there long. I lived there for a decade, so that's longer yeah. than anywhere I've lived aside from where I grew up, which was like a small town. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't, so I think my familiar, my familiarity with New York city is, is the highest. So yeah. I think, yeah, just cause comfort level, I feel like, and there's yeah. so much, there's never ending exploration in New York yeah. It's and a it's, great
1: city. And it's got yeah. so much, you know, food diversity. Yeah. Right.
2: Yes. Right. I I dream of it sometimes. (laughs) Like, is there's the food here is unreal. It really is incredible. We eat so well, but but it is not diverse. That is one thing Mm -hmm. it is not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I dream of food in New York.
0: This is the last question. What is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself ten years ago?
2: Let it ferment. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just with life. I really. (laughs) I always want things to happen faster than they do. I'm like, I tend to be impatient. Like I, I want things to happen yesterday. Like as soon as I know I want them, I'm like, why hasn't this happened? And I think that fermentation is, does that sound familiar? (laughs) Is that you? Is that yourself? Is it your wife?
1: It's (laughs) it's Bob.
0: Yeah.
2: That's Bob.
0: Yeah. Katie. So I watched, I don't remember which one of your videos it was, but I have a little quote board here. And some of my favorite quotes, I put them up just so I can, You know, remember why I put them on there. Um, and I added, uh, uh, Trani Sita Slow.
2: Did I say that correctly?
0: And so you, Sita. So you were in the town of Trani? Yes. Did I pronounce that correctly? And the motto of the town was to just slow it down? Yeah. And I love that. Uh, I need it often. And so I added that, obviously, I'm not talent, but I put it on my board, um, Aww. from your video and I'm glad I remembered to bring that up. I wanted to. Aww, mm-hmm.
2: That's so awesome. I so, yeah. yeah, it's like, we all need reminders or at least Bob, you people like you and I, Elliot, I'm yes. not sure if we can relate <laughs> as much. I, I do think it's a personality thing in some ways, but I'm definitely one of those personalities. And so, yeah, whether it's the, the, Chita slow slogan um, mm-hmm. in Prani, which I'm so glad resonated with you. I mean, for me, the process of writing this book and and learning about fermentation and really understanding fermentation, you know, fermentation is is a transformation, and the unspoken ingredient in all transformation is time. Mm-hmm. There's and there's nothing. <laughs> You just time, you just have to wait for it to transform. And yeah. so uh, yeah, that that's possibly my biggest learning from writing this book. And I I need the reminder and I tell it to myself a lot because when things aren't going fast enough, it's like let it ferment. Let, let it, ferment.
0: it ferment I really like that. Katie, thank you so much uh, for coming on. This has been incredibly informative. You've been an incredible guest. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it.
2: You guys are awesome. It was so so much fun. Thanks for having me on.
1: Have you had a chance to try some of the recipes yet?
0: No, not yet. Uh, but I did. I, so me not being the great cook that I am I is go. I'm going to rely on my my wife to do them. Um, so let
1: me ask: between you and Marlia, is one of you the cook and one of you a baker? Or is Marlia just do everything?
0: So I cook more often. I cook every week. But I do very bare bones, you know, because I like the meal prep thing. So I cook chicken, I cook beef, and I cook vegetables every single week.
1: But you don't do, like, recipes.
0: Right. That's what we normally eat throughout the week. But when it comes down to, like, cooking a meal Saturday night when we have the time to do it, she's the the one that follows the recipe. She makes – she's an incredible cook. She's an incredible baker. She's the one that has the patience to put the time in, whereas – I'm kind of quick and, you know, I, I, am there to eat. Not cook. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she, I told her about the book. I told her about this conversation and she's, yeah, she's like father's Day's coming up and you know, my birthday's coming up. So I'm going to be getting cheddar brownies and, and oh, I'm so stuff. excited so, for those. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I haven't had a chance, but I know. So uh, Amanda and I are very, she, are, we're a good pair because I like to cook and cooking is very much more of like, you can throw stuff together and there's a little bit more art to it. Baking. She really likes following recipes and getting things like exact Mm -hmm. weighing things out, following it to a T. So she is a phenomenal baker and it just kind of, Jives well because I'll make some of the dinners, she'll make some of the desserts. So I'm excited to try the breads, the desserts, and basically everything else in that book. I think we're going to spend maybe like one recipe a month and just do them all.
0: Yeah. And well, then it's not one of these cookbooks that has the hundreds of recipes. Like it's very specific. Mm-hmm. And, very, you know, I love the story behind it. It's, you know, it, it, having this conversation and taking that information to the kitchen with the cookbook is going to be an incredible experience. Yeah,
1: So thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, you can give us a rating on whichever podcast platform you listen on. You can support the show in a financial way by giving us a dollar a month on Patreon or up to $10 a month. Don't donate if you don't have the money and don't donate if you don't think it's going to go to a good cause, such as running the show, hosting platforms, technology, software, hardware, all of that good stuff. And tell your friends and family about us. And Bob is... Just enjoying himself right now, having a good time on the podcast. Uh, we appreciate you as fans. Thank you for listening to the show and tune in next week.